Hello and welcome back to the Wizard Staff. I'm your host Guy. And I'm Blake. And we are two drunk novices who like to drink and swear. Oh my god. I'm already drunk and like I'm now forgetting like how does the normal intro go? Like, oh my god. Um, we drink and swear, you've been warned. Please drink responsibly when you're talking about children's card games. Yada yada yada. Uh, we're doing like this three part series for Commander Legends. So, if you're like, oh my god, like, guys, you're already drunk? So unprofessional. We already did a full <laughs> podcast before this, so <laughs> shut up. Alright, so, okay, Commander Legends, it's out, yay! I'm gonna crack another beer. <laughs> um, we've waited a year, and we're now in part two. Part three, you might just hear me crying <laughs> as the intro. Uh, part two is, like, other new commanders. So these are the multicolored commanders that we're getting for Commander Legends. If you want to know more about Commander Legends, go listen to, like, Sober Us in part one of our review. And then in our next review, where, you know, maybe we're too incoherent to actually listen to, we'll talk about the reprints and the rest of the 99 cards. Uh, Blake, what are you drinking right now? Good question. What the hell am I drinking? Iron Horse Brewery, uh, IHB... It's got, like, this white dude with a scarf. I don't know. It tastes pretty good. All right. I'm drinking my Dogfish Head Session Ale, Sequench Ale. Uh, it's my favorite beer now. I drank two Guinnesses, essentially, and two Bastard Ales for the first episode. So you know things are going pretty great. And I'll probably drink two more of these guys during this episode. Oh, my God. You know, you've heard it a million times before. We got a Ristic Study giveaway. If you want a really good card, go subscribe to our channel. We're, like, really close. We're, like, at 180 subscribers. So once we hit 200, we'll, like, randomly pick one of you guys and then just, like, hey, you know, you get this cool altar. But, yeah, on to the two-color commanders. These are not really in any kind of, like, order, except by, like, we'll do two colors and then three colors. Right. So we'll be kind of like bouncing back and forth between like the different things. But it's fun that way. <laughs> Keeps things interesting. Go to start us off. Start blah blah blah. Well, I am going to start us off with Blim Comedic Genius. Two black red legendary creature imp. He has flying. Whenever Blim Comedic Genius deals combat damage to a player, that player gains control of target permanent you control. Then each player loses life and discards cards equal to the number of permanents they control but don't. So, so it's sort of like a reverse Sedru. You get to choose the permanents, so you want to give them stuff that are to their disadvantage. So like Captive Audience, Aggressive Mining, Demonic Pact, just to name a few. These are cards that are gonna like, really like, fuck them up, so <laughs> you know, make some friends. Have fun. Generally, you'd think, like, getting rid of your own stuff and giving it to your opponents would be a bad thing, but turns out if it's just, like, a bomb, you're like, hi, hold this, walks away, boom, pretty good. It's kind of like, have you ever seen a prank 
where you get like a bucket of water and you put it up against the ceiling and you have like a broom holding it up and then you say like hey come here hold on to this and then they're just like holding a broom that's holding up a bucket of water and they're like what do i do now and you're like i don't know and you walk away <laughs> so then they're having to hold like a bucket of water up and if they move with like the broom then like the bucket of water is just gonna fall <laughs> <laughs> that's what this card is like as a commander Alright, the next commander is Zara, Renegade Recruiter. Three and blue-red. Legendary creature, human pirate, with flying. Whenever Zara attacks, look at defending player's hand. You may put a creature card from it onto the battlefield under your control, tapped and attacking that player or a planeswalker they control. Return that creature to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end set. It is a 4-3. This is weird. You pointed this out to me, guy, that it's flying... But it doesn't really look like it's flying in the art. Yeah, it's not flying, it's standing on a pirate ship. But she looks like she has wings that are like some kind of... Like, they're kind of like out of Kaladesh almost. It's fun because is it, is it, it, it is an Izzik commander. <laughs> that's a tongue twister when you're drunk. It doesn't care about artifacts, so that's cool, I guess. And it is on the blue-red theme of, like, pirates, arg. <laughs> but you know how we talked about how Discontinuity was, like, a pretty bad card? Yeah. Like, Corset 2021? Yeah. It's actually pretty good in this deck, because then you're going to, like, want to run this card, and then at the end of your turn, you just cast it for, like, one in a blue in response to, like, the trigger when it says, like, return that creature to its winner's hand at the beginning of the end step. Mm -hmm. That means then you get to keep the creature. And if you run this with, like, that port razor that we'll talk about in, like, the 99, you could potentially get up to three creatures that aren't your own. And I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, I will admit, like, now Discontinuity actually has a deck that's relevant that it's in. Yeah, and Sentinel of the Infinite 2, that's a good, another good one. Yeah, that one's spiking in price just because of, of this and a few other cards that we'll, we'll talk about later as well. Mm-hmm. Alright, who's next? Gore Moldrock, Amphineologist, 1 green blue. It's a Simic Commander, so it's going to be pretty strong, right? <laughs> you and Permanence, you control have protection from Salamanders. <gasps> oh my god. <laughs> At the beginning of your end step, each player who controls the fewest creatures creates a 4-3 blue salamander warrior creature token. 3-2. It's fucking broken. Protection from salamanders? The most inherently busted thing in a magic deck? Step back, ladies and gentlemen. This is one tough cookie. This just hard fucks like all 11 salamander cards. None of which I can name at all. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't have even thought that there were salamander creatures before this guy. <laughs> I am in the same boat. To be fair, there are like a few really old obscure magic cards that can like change the like creature type of a card so you can like change your opponent's thing into a salamander, but those are like really few and far between and it's really obscure. I've actually seen people, mostly casual players, who are like, Oh my god, I love this. Like, this is a Simic Commander that's not busted as hell. I think that is great, that this is a Simic Commander that's not busted as hell. But, 
I didn't think salamanders really mattered that much before this, but I guess they do. I mean, I'm embarrassed to say, but I don't know every single magic card off the top of my head, all 20,000 of them. Oh so. my god. You need to leave the podcast right now. Yeah, alright. <laughs> thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this is my retirement speech. I'm just gonna go drink myself to death now. No. I mean, I'm going to drink myself to death at the rate that I'm going for these episodes. But it's for the entertainment of the people. People must be entertained by my slurred words. <laughs> this next card is Hans Ericsson. It is two red-green legendary creature human scout. Whenever Hans attacks, reveal the top card of your library. If it's a creature card, put it onto the battlefield tapped in attacking, defending player, or planeswalker they control. Otherwise, put that card into your hand. When you put a creature card onto the battlefield this way, it fights Hans. And it's a 1-4. Huh. I mean, Akhans run the Lurgoy and Sophie at Earth's daughter. It's like all coming together full circle. And, I mean, Akhans run was a card that I became familiar with when I just started Magic. And... I ran it in my fur dragon deck for a while because I was stupid <laughs> and didn't know that the silver border was something that mattered. I just kind of thought like, you know, there's white border cards, so maybe they chose to do silver border for a while. <laughs> so yeah, it was inherently broken in that deck because I could just say like, all cones run, and then I play like a bunch of dragons, and then I'm like, ha ha ha. Did anyone say anything to you before I did? No, because my friends were also stupid. <laughs> yeah, I remember very vividly getting this message from you over Snapchat. And I'm like, guy, I I don't know how to break this to you. Um, Silver Border isn't legal in Commander. <laughs> Secretly, that's actually when I quit Magic. <laughs> and I've just been doing this podcast for the last two years because... You haven't actually been playing Paper Magic at all. <laughs> Haven't even touched a single card. Not one. I mean, we are in a pandemic. Yeah. Well, uh, because we're in a pandemic doesn't mean I can't touch <laughs> physical cards. Like, of course I'm touching physical cards that are my own. I'm not touching other people's cards. God damn it, Blake. <laughs> Ooh! Glad that I get to talk about this next one, because this is the other commander that I'm really looking forward to building. Lisa, Shroud of Dusk. Two, white, white, black. Legendary creature, angel. So we got an Orzov angel, which has only been happened once before, I believe. And rather than pay two mana for each previous time you cast the spell from the command zone this game, pay two life that many times. So it's important to note what I just said is you will always be casting this card for 5 mana because instead of commander tax, you have to pay the life. You don't have a choice between paying life or the mana. You have to pay the life. So Blake, what does Lisa and Donald Trump have in common? I don't know, guy. Tell me. They get around their taxes, baby! Uh, goddamn. Alright, let me read the full card now. Alright, Lisa Shroud of Dust, Legendary Creature, Angel, 2 white, white, black. Other than pay 2 mana for each 
previous time you've cast a spell from the command zone this game, Petty 2 light that many times, blah blah blah. Already said that. Uh, flying lifelink. So she does have lifelink, which is great because then, you know, she can go in and attack and gain you some life. Whenever a player casts a spell, they lose two life. So that is symmetrical. Doesn't matter that it's whoever. Like, you're going to be taking two life as well. And I just love the ability to circumvent the commander tax. I think that this is like a great place that we could implement this kind of effect. I do see this as kind of like a stacks commander, and that's kind of how I'm building it at the moment. It's almost like how I've built Avacyn, it's just like low mana hate bearers. And it's similar, but it does have like a lifelink, life matters kind of strategy as well. I would advise against too many cards that limit how many spells your opponents cast because you just want to focus on making sure that they want to cast more spells. So like Thalia, Garden of Throbin, or like Aura Silence, or cards that have others in the battlefield tapped. Just because like you want them, you kind of want to encourage them to like go ahead with their plan because then they're just going to be losing more and more life. And you can use the white part to take advantage of the fact that you're losing life. But like Exquisite Blood and Sanguine Bond, you know, you get those two out and you have Lisa. They cast any spell, they just like trigger that off and like, boom, you're dead. Goodbye. You suck. The classic two card combo. This is, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you said, Guy. It's really nice to not have to pay commander tax. Because, you know, once you start paying like 7 or 8 or 9 for your commander, that's really that's really rough. No matter what deck you're in. You mean paying 8 mana costs for a commander <laughs> is rough? Even like that's the base cost of what Addison costs? <laughs> Throwing some serious shade. <laughs> uh, yeah, but this is... It is comparable to Kembal Council of Allocation. In the fact that like, whoever like pays a bunch of spells, is losing a bunch of life. I do want to note, lore-wise, this is the sister of Gisela, Bruna, Sigarda, and Aurelia, but Lisa got yeeted by Avacyn, and by yeeted I mean straight up murdered. And it's finally cool to see this character in print. It's actually not the sister to Aurelia. Aurelia is on Ravnica. Right, right, right. right Gisela, right. Bruna, and Sigarda are the three sisters that we saw in Innistrad, but Avacyn killed Lisa thousands of years before we got to the story of Innistrad that we know. I don't know why, though. Alright, this next commander is Nimrus, Una's trickster. It is three... Oh, like Una. Yeah, oh, I'll talk about that. It is three blue-black legendary creature fairy knight Flash and flying whenever you cast your first spell during each opponent's turn. Look at the top two cards of your library. Put one of those cards into your hand and the other into your graveyard. It is a 1-6. So it kind of asks you to play a lot of instants in order to get the card advantage from this commander. You can also play creatures with flash. That also works to get that card advantage. And this makes sense because Watsi has been moving Flash more into Demir. 
and it's kind of moving it away from green and more into Demir. For anyone wondering, I am not going to take apart Una, Queen of the Fae, to build Nimrus. Una is my favorite card in all of Magic. There's no way in hell I am taking it apart for this. I've heard some people be like a little bit negative about this card because, oh, you're just going to play counter spells and like draw spells and control magic. And I mean, you don't have to build it that way. You can. And even if you do build it that way, it's it's not the end of the world. Like it can be beaten pretty easily. Like as someone who plays Demir, like you're pretty, there are very clear weaknesses. You just got to realize it. <laughs> I mean, Flash kind of is a mechanic that works in all colors. It just kind of depends, like, what cards get the flash. Like, I know green gets flash a lot, but, like, it's only on the creatures. Right. And, I mean, it seems like, flavor-wise, if you wanted to build this in, like, the fairy tribal, like, I might want to, like, put this into, like, I guess, like, I always forget, but I also have an Una deck. But it's, <laughs> yeah. like, fairy tribal. Yeah. And, like, this card might actually make the cut. Yeah. Um, I'd have to look, because I haven't, like, touched that thing in months. But, yeah. I mean, one thing this card does have over Una is this is strict card advantage, whereas Una is more of a mana outlet. So it doesn't actually like generate... And, like, a combo piece, right? Correct. So there are certain advantages to playing this, yeah. All right. Next, we got Belby, Corrupted Observer, Black Green, Legendary Creature, Zombie L. <laughs> At the beginning of each player's post combat main phase, that player adds colorless colors for each of your opponents who lost life this turn. Two, two. Something to note about this card this is a symmetrical effect. This doesn't just happen to you, your opponents can possibly generate this extra mana for themselves so you got to be careful that they're not going to take advantage of it more than you are i mean obviously you're going to be building your deck to where you're making the most out of this effect but just be careful that there is a slight chance in which your opponent might accidentally make better use of this card than you will which is kind of funny that being said you definitely want to build your deck to where you have cards where you can sink all of this colorless mana into like, because you can, assuming you're playing in a four-player pod, you can make, like, up to six colorless mana, which is not an insignificant amount of mana. That's pretty good. So just make sure you have something to dump it into, like a mana sink or maybe an Eldrazi spell or something. Yeah, if you're not planning for this, I, there is a commander later that we're going to talk about where I think this card is great in, like, the 99. But if you're not planning for this, it's just kind of like, yeah, I guess I get colorless mana and it helps move the game along. But, I mean, I don't know. I don't see this as actually being the commander. I know the command zone like, talked about this and they were like, this is really powerful. And I was like, what are you talking about? I mean, it's good, but like, I don't think it's that good. Let's move on. So we got, yeah, we're not going in any particular order if we as we've mentioned, so, you know, it's kind of like a, you know, who are they going to talk about next? <laughs> it's a surprise. We're going to talk about Thales, Revenant, Medium, 3, White, Black, Legendary Creature, Human Cleric. At the beginning of each end step, create a X11 White Spirit creature tokens with flying, where X is the number of tokens you created this turn. 
three, four. This is different. Yeah. So, okay, just to kind of like go back, every two color pair got two commanders, and then I believe every three color pair got two commanders, or maybe one. I think it was actually one. Because there were 40 from the partners, and then there's 30 for the three colors. Okay, figured that out. So anyway, Folly, yeah. So this is the second white black commander. So yeah, you know what card is like really great for this stuff, Blake? What? Smothering Tithe. And I mean, we all know that Smothering Tithe is already a good card, but especially if your opponents are going to be drawing cards. Oh, that's true. Yeah, because like white's gonna just be like, hey, taxation without representation. <laughs> and they're like, no, make the treasure token. And then, like, let's say they get three treasure tokens, and then you can just make three spirit tokens. Like, I don't know, it's pretty good because, you know, it's not just like each of your end step, it's at the beginning of each end step. So it triggers every turn. So if you do happen to create, like, even one token, any kind of token, you're going to get a 1-1 one -one white spirit creature token with flying because of that. Raise the alarms is an instant speed that creates token creatures as well. So you can do it on other players' turns. Yeah, there are a few cards that create tokens at instant speed. Those will be beneficial. Mm -hmm. There was that one Prava commander that we talked about who can do it. So yeah, there's good options. I don't know, like yeah, pretty good. I do like this because there hasn't really been an Orzhov token deck before. Like, yeah, there was Tesa Karlov, but she wasn't really a dedicated Orzhov token deck. She was still very much like Aristocrats. So uh, I consider this to be like the first Orzhov token deck. And I really like that, that, that this kind of deck has never existed before. She's going down in history as the first Orzhov commander. Who cares about tokens? Pretty much. Alright, Lathield, Bounteous Dawn. Two green-white, so Selesnia. <gasps> it's the legendary creature unicorn, which is great because we just got another legendary creature unicorn that is also Selesnia, Emil. <laughs> which is funny because I bought Emil specifically so I can do an altar of her. Or him. And that was like an expensive card. And I was like, I'm really just doing this for the altar. But <laughs> this card doesn't seem like it's going to be that much more expensive. And it could still fit into the flavor of the altar I want to do. <laughs> but I don't know. Alright, so. Legendary Creature Unicorn Lifelink. At the beginning of each end set, if you gain life this turn, distribute up to that many plus one plus one counters among any number of other target creatures. And it's a 2-2. Yeah, so like you said, this is like the new Unicorn Tribal Commander. Not really, that's not really a thing. Don't take that seriously. Um, it's kind of like, it reminds me of like a reversal of Tristani Selesnya's voice. Like, in terms of caring about the life gain and the toughness of your creatures in a way. So, I don't think... 
it's gonna see that much play, but it, it just it makes sense. It seems fitting. It works. Yeah. Between this and Emil, neither really care about unicorns, so it's kind of just like you know you pick one to be your unicorn tribal, I guess. But which isn't a thing. Just well, that's a joke. Just to be clear, no yeah, one's really building I'm unicorn tribal. Play. No. Listen to me. <laughs> Stop. I'm <being> serious. <laughs> You're drunk. Go home. I thought that was the point of this podcast. <laughs> talk about children's trading card games while I'm drunk. It is. Talk about the next card. Alright, Arami of the Dead Tide. One blue black legendary creature Merfolk Wizard. It taps to exile cards from your graveyard equal to the number of opponents you have. Target creature card in your graveyard gains Encore until end of turn. The Encore cost is equal to its mana cost, and it's a 1-4. Wait, why do you say it like that? It's Encore. It's not Encore. I'm a little bit tipsy, okay? Give me some slack here. <laughs> this is <Yeah>. a <laughs> blue, so it mills, and then it's black, so it reanimates. It seems very fitting. This is nice. It's cool to see a card that like scales with the number of opponents you have, so... You know, typically you'll have three opponents, so you'll exile about three cards from your graveyard. So obviously, like you'll need to fill up your, you'll need a, a bit of setup to make this card work. But I do like the fact that this is low CMC. Yeah, there's just a bunch of other blue and black commanders that also kind of mill and reanimate. So ah, this one's okay. You know who would be fantastic to give encore to? Who? What? Are you kidding me, Blake? You've been doing this <laughs> podcast for two years, and you're just going to tell me, like, who? It's Blood Ice Seal Colossus! Baby! <laughs> oh my god. You're so dumb. Oh my god. I can't believe that you didn't, like, immediately just say that. I said it at the same time you did. Hopefully that syncs up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So we worked it in. Part two. <laughs> One more episode to go. Alright. Find a way. Kongi Skywarden. Legendary creature bird wizard. How much does it cost, guy? Oh, God. I just see those letters and I'm like, I don't know, I don't need to say that. <laughs> Three white and a blue. Flying vigilance legendary creature bird wizard. Whenever Kongi uh, Skywarden attacks, attack green creatures with flying is puts to plus zero until end of turn. Whenever Kongi blocks, blocking creatures with flying, plus zero, plus two. Whenever Kongi blocks, blocking creatures with flying, get plus zero, plus two until end of turn. So like I said, white-blue cares about, like, flying tribal, which is, like, a good entry point for players if, like, they wanted to make some kind of, like, easy deck. But I don't see this being particularly a strong commander outside of the draft environment. I just think if you do get this as like a choice, you can then build a pretty decent flying tribal deck in the draft environment. Yeah, I mean, people are always joking about the fact that like you can make bird tribal finally, even though for years we've had Drevi Imperial Tactician, so I don't know why people are still making the joke, we have a bird commander in Bant, where most birds are in, so it's kind of a tired joke. Strictly better, like, 
Karevi just gives around commander attacks already. Yeah. So. Pretty. I don't know. So. Alright. Jury, Master of Revu. Black Red. Legendary creature, human shaman. Whenever you sacrifice a permanent, put a plus one plus one counter on Jury. When Jury dies, it deals damage equal to its power to any target, and it's a 1 1. Honestly, for me, this is pretty meh, pretty forgettable. It seems more relevant to the draft format. I mean, if you're playing a super casual Corvold deck, this might see play in the 99. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, we get two commanders for each color pair, and when you compare it to, like, Blim, I think Blim is so much more fun that Jury isn't probably going to see play outside of the draft environment. It might see play in the casual 99 of some decks that kind of care about when things die, which is like a black-red thing, and that is the kind of theme of the Rakdos draft environment. But I do think the one advantage is that it is a low mana cost, so you do get this out pretty early. And I do want to add that the rules committee did recently change die triggers for the commander format. So when jury dies, whether you keep it in the graveyard or move it to the command zone, jury's die trigger will indeed work. Yeah, and I wonder if a big part of that was because of all these incoming commanders that they just said, hey, look, can you make this work? Because we're going to have a bunch of commanders who matter about, you know, their die triggers. I don't, I know we, this is the first time that we're kind of like pointing it out, but I do think that there were a few more prior in the partners that did care about like when they, when it dies. The rules committee have talked with Wizards of the Coast designers and Wizards of the Coast has asked them, like, hey, can you, like, change the way die triggers work in the commander format? Because we really want to design all these cool cards, but the die triggers don't work, so can you please change them? And it's been in the process very low on the priority list, but, like, the rules committee basically did find a way to make it work within the rules of commander in an elegant way. And so I think in the future, not think, I am certain, because they've made statements saying so, that we can expect more commanders with die triggers in the future. Yeah, so that way we're not getting, like, those stupid fucking cards, like, Gerard, whether, like, Captain, that kind of, like, try and work around that. Point. Yeah, because that's what they, that's what Watsi designers were trying to do. They were trying to find a way to, like, not do a die trigger, but kind of do a die trigger, and it didn't quite work, so... Now, we can expect some cool stuff in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alright, so moving on, because we talked more about, like, the die triggers there than we did to actually talk about, like, jury. <laughs> Alright, so we got Abomination of Lanawar. It's a one black-green legendary creature elf horror. So, again, black-green draft environment is meant to care about the elves. This is up there in terms of, like, scariest art for cards that have come out this year, it's probably number two next to Peer into the Abyss. It has Vigilance, Menace, Abomination of Lenoir's power and toughness are each equal to the number of elves you control, plus the number of elf cards in your graveyard. I mean, I'm just disappointed that this isn't going to, like, be able to tap 
for like a black and a green. Like, you know, a true elf should. But what do I know about card design, Blake? <laughs> Nothing, I guess. The art is like literally an elf ball. So for that reason alone, I think this is pretty cool. I don't think many people are going to play it. We can move on to Rayav, Master Smith. Red and a white, legendary creature, dwarf artificer. Whenever creature you control that's enchanted or equipped attacks, that creature gains double strike until end of turn. And it's a 2-2. Honestly, uh, I just don't think this really does quite enough as a commander or in the 99. I know some people have talked about this like in certain Voltron builds, especially like Boros equipment Voltron builds. But I just don't think it quite gets there. Which is a real shame because the art has like some really sweet like facial hair yeah i mean i see where people are coming from with that but like if you've listened to our voltron episode before and i guess like you should go listen to it because like blake did a good job <laughs> like whatever i'm not trying to like boost his ego oh, or whatever <sighs> but like it, it's a low mana cost which i think that's actually its biggest advantage but we gone over some other commanders that just are so much better for the Voltron environment already. I mean, not even like, I guess, there's, there hasn't really been any like Voltron strong commanders that we've talked about. There have been some that could like see fringe play, but I don't think that there's any that we've talked about that are like, you know, the new staple in Voltron. Yeah. There's one coming up, there's one coming up that I am a little bit interested in not talking about. Yeah, so stay tuned. I know that we're getting more and more <laughs> falling into the abyss of alcohol. But we're getting there, I promise. Alright, Tuya Bearclaw. One red green. Legendary creature human warrior. So this is the second rule commander that we're talking about. Whenever Tuya Bearclaw attacks, it gets plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is the greatest power among other creatures you control. It's a 2-2. Low mana cost. Gruul tends to care about powers, creatures, toughness. Like, Xenagos is a good card that you might want to include in here. But, I mean, fighting is kind of like the thing. So, yeah. Not bad. It basically asks you to play Gruul Stompy. With the name of this card, it, I do kind of wonder whether it's related to Yusova Dragonclaw and Surik Dragonclaw. I didn't look up the lore, I'm sorry, but I feel like there's some kind of connection. So you didn't look up the lore, Blake? Oh my god. <laughs> there's too many I mean, comments. I can't blame you because I didn't look up the lore for Lisa that much beforehand. Okay, who's next? I kind of feel like we're on American Idol right now. We're just going through a bunch of, like, really shitty singers. <laughs> and we get to a few every so often who are like, okay, hey, we'll actually give you some good critique here. <laughs> but otherwise, we're just like, next. Yeah. Yeah. Quain, curious, itinerant, white, blue, legendary creature, rabbit, wizard. Tap. Each player may draw a card. Then each player who drew a card this way gains one life. It's a 1-3. So it's group hug. But there are other ways around it. Like, obviously, you can play some cards that deny your opponents from drawing the card. So only you get to draw the card. <laughs> but 
I don't really expect people to play this. You can't even make the joke that it's like rabbit tribal because I think there's like literally only like one other fucking rabbit in the game. So yeah, I just have nothing to say about this card. I mean, like the only thing I could really see is like it's kind of like a temple bell, temple bell on a stick because then you can like use mind over matter to like discard a card to draw a card and then do like the loop thing. Yeah. yeah. You would have to wait, like, a full turn cycle, but, like, you know, you have access to white, which cares about enchantments, and, you know, you can run, like, idyllic tutor and an enlightened tutor to, like, go find that piece real quick, but... That is true, but it's, like, that's one of those things, like, in theory you can do that, but I don't think anyone in practice is actually gonna do that. Like, I feel like they might do that once and just get, like, bored immediately. I agree. I don't think that this is something that's gonna be, like... You know, like, oh, CEDH tier. And if you did build it the way that I just said, like, yeah, that's, like, the one win-con strategy that I can think of. But otherwise, like, yeah, if you just do that, like, ten times... Even if you do that, like, three times, I feel like it's going to get boring real quick. All right. Bell Borka, Spectral Sergeant. Two red-white legendary creature, spirit, soldier... Note the converted mana costs of each card as it's put into exile. Bell Borka, Spectral Sergeant's power is equal to the greatest number noted for it this turn. At the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. And then it's a star five. Right. So it is a Boros commander and it is like card advantage. Even then, it's still pretty... It's still pretty mediocre. I mean, what if you exile land? Then, you know, it's a 0-5. Then you can't even go, like, the combat route. Because, like, oh, give double strike to a 0-5? It's still 0, idiots. Yeah, I mean, like, the counter-argument to that is you play, like, some top deck manipulation. But, like, even then, that's... That's so meh. It's, like, whatever. Like, honestly... For me, the most interesting thing about this card is the word note in the rules text of this card. Because there's only been like three other commander legal cards that say note, and that's like Ice Cauldron, Tarnos' Coffin, and Jeweled Amulet. And a lot of those are like errata text. So I'm wondering if this is sort of like design rules text that we can see more in the future like it's been a while since we've seen this it is kind of cool i i mean this is kind of the set where i guess that you can do things like this where it's like note the converted mana cost of each card as it's put into exile because it's such a funky effect that probably wouldn't see much play in standard otherwise it kind of reminds me of the achilles card that got played in Theros Beyond Death. Oh, I remember that but, one. But, yeah. I mean, this something? card's kind of like a... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This card is kind of like a gamble, because... I don't know. I mean, I guess you just want to be exiling a bunch of cards, but, you know, you're only going to be able to play the card that you exiled off the top of your library from the beginning of your turn. So even if you exile a bunch of cards, it's not like you know, you're going to have access to them. You're just going to be pumping up Belporka. I don't know. I'm going to move on to the next card. Mm-hmm. 
Captain Vargas Wrath. Blue and a red. Legendary creature orc pirate. So he's our other pirate tribal that matters in is it colors. Whenever Captain Vargas Wrath attacks, pirates you control get plus one plus one until end of turn for each time you cast a commander from the command zone this game. And he's only a 1 1, so he kind of sucks. <laughs> Every time I see cards that say, like, for each time your commander has been cast, they tend to be bad. Like, I remember back in, like, Commander 2018 with, like, the Commander Storm Cycle. Like, those were all, like, generally regarded as pretty bad cards. Yeah, like, except for the red one, which is, like, Fury Storm. That was, like, the only mildly playable one. So whenever I see this kind of templating on a card, I get a little bit nervous. Yeah, and I mean, this is also one that would care more about, you know, you casting your commander a bunch of times. Which is never a great strategy, because you're like, I just want my commander to be out once, and I don't want you to touch him, and I don't want to have to cast this again, because it's part of a main strategy that I'm trying to pull off in this game. So, I don't know, maybe this is good in your, like, fun, casual pirate tribal? where you care about casting two commanders, like, I don't know, Malcolm and Breaches, or <laughs> Malcolm and uh, Dargo, so then at least you get two triggers to go up from this, so it's like plus two, plus two. I'll probably throw this in the casual pirate deck that I plan to build, but more like a, this card's like a three out of ten. <laughs> Gosh. If you have to put this as your draftable pirate commander deck, I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. I mean, maybe that's where it shines. That's the kind of vibe I'm getting. Yeah, I guess the one advantage too is it is... So if you do put this as your commander, it is only two mana. So, you know, if you happen to cast this for like six mana at the point where you've already cast it three times then other pirates are getting our plus three plus three, so it's good that he at least is like a low mana cost to like help get his trigger to be better than what it's worth. With that being said, we're going to move on to the next card. Um, Hamza, Guardian of Arashin. Four green-white legendary creature elephant warrior. This spell costs one less to cast for each creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it. Hmm. Creature spells you cast cost one less to cast, for each creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it, and it's a five five. This is really giving me some real like Animar vibes, you know, where you're just like reducing the casting cost of your creature spells. I mean, this one's different because you have to jump through a few hoops where you need to put plus one plus one counters on your other creatures. But y you know what I'm saying, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at that. I guess, like, in this deck, compared to, like, Animar, you're running green-white instead of, like, green-blue-red. So it's a little different color-wise, but I think Animar is still the better choice if you're, like, trying to go for, like, cheating creatures with big converted mana costs. And if you do happen to have, like, a lot of plus-one, plus-one counters, which is a Selesnia thing, it helps circumvent that commander tax so you know pretty good there yeah and you can bet that anyone 
playing this as their commander is going to want to play like Elephant Graveyard, a super obscure land that says tap, regenerate target elephant. What power? <laughs> yeah, what power? Oh my god. <laughs> Alright, so I know I've been talking about this a lot in part one, and I am finally about to deliver for part two. You better. But it's Emoti, Celebrant of Bounty, three green blue, legendary creature Naga Druid. It has Cascade, and spells you cast with converted mana cost 6 or greater have Cascade. And it's a 3-1. So, this is the card that I was talking about with Brineland, since that also cares about cards with CMC greater than 6. And then we did have that one commander from Commander Legends. Uh, not Commander Legends, that's the set we're talking about. Man, I'm drunk. <laughs> Theros Beyond Death. Like Thrax, Sudden of the Storm, where it's like spells with converted mana cost six or more can't be countered. Mm hmm. So, those seem like some good cards to like throw in there, but like, I guess Simic is the one color that would care about like converted mana cost six or more because it probably can cast cards with converted mana cost six or more pretty easily, like turn three or turn four. Like, it just gets ahead so much on the curve. Yeah, and I'm sure, like, I've seen some builds of it where people are just playing, like, extra turns. Because, you know, a lot of extra turn spells are, like, 5 to, like, 8 CMC or whatever. So, a lot of them will, like, trigger the Cascade. You don't have to build that way. I'm sure there's people who are going to build it just, like, 6 CMC Tribal or whatever. I mean, yeah, I guess time stretch... It has Cascade, you gain two extra turns, and you also get a card that has like nine mana or less. So it seems pretty good there, I guess. I think extra turn decks, unless it's like a very clear combo, those are probably like one of my least fun decks to play against. Mm -hmm. Hopefully people don't do that. I think people will build it and then probably get bored of it really quick. It tends to seem to be like the trend with like Simic Commanders. Yeah, they're really strong, but once you do it a couple times, you're like, yeah, I'm bored of this. Yeah. Okay, I call dibs on this next one. I mean, it's your turn, so yeah, go ahead. Alright, we got Wyleth, Soul of Steel. It is one red, white. This is, notably, the commander that's in the Commander Legends precons. There are two Commander precon decks separate from like this set, correct? Correct. Okay, so it's a legendary creature, human warrior. It has trample. Whenever Wyleth attacks, draw a card for each aura and equipment attached to it, and it's a 2-2. So, it pretty much asks you, pretty straightforward, to be a Boros Voltron deck. I like the fact that it's low CMC, so it can be cast early and you can start swinging right away. I like the fact that it has a draw trigger for like each aura and equipment so you're not just necessarily locked into equipment like most boros voltron decks usually are you also get to run auras so it gives you the option to play either of those so i enjoy that and it has card draw so like you're going to play a card and then like usually recoup it because it's attack trigger it's not a combat damage trigger so like no matter what you're gonna basically be able to draw those cards 
And then on top of that, it has tramples, so like that is a nice little cherry on top where like you can start swinging early, probably get in damage, and like as the game gets on later, hopefully play equipment and auras that buff it up a little bit that with its base stats and the trample you're going to continue to beat over whatever creatures your opponents have um i should probably stop talking because i could probably like talk about this card for like 40 minutes i like this i like this well if you like it so much why don't you build a deck around it Blake? oh don't you fucking tempt me you bitch (laughs) (laughs) i think though the three cmc is also a pretty big win it's pretty easy to cast, like, turn two or turn three on Kerr, so, mm-hmm. you know, you just then equip, like, Swift Foot Boots or um, Lightning Graves onto this, give it, like, Haste and Hexproof or something like that, and then you can already start, like, creating, like, card advantage like that. So, yeah. Akiri just came out, which people were, like, going nuts for because they were like, ooh, it's another Boros Commander, and it, like, can give you, like, card draw. So it almost feels like, you know, we just got one, but now this one's even better, like, in even in terms of, like, just mana costs, so... Yeah. It's kind of a joke, the number of times people are like, oh my god, is this a Voltron commander? And I'm always like, not really, no. But this one very clearly is asking you to be Voltron, so in this case, it actually is. I didn't do enough research about the commander precon deck and all the cards that were running it, because I would be very interested, very interested to see Watsi kind of build like a Voltron beginner deck for someone, and I wonder if the precon that was built for Wyleth is kind of like that idea, you know? It just might be. Yeah. So they they focus on so many different strategies that I wonder if. I'd have to look at it. I didn't do that. Like, you know, life's just been crazy. Life's just been crazy. This next card's crazy. It's our last two-color commander, and it's the other face commander of the Precon decks. It's AC, Tyrant of Gyre Strait, four green, blue, from the Precon. Legendary Creature Serpent. You may play an additional land on each of your turns, and whenever the land enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. It's a 5-5. So this kind of sounds like a card that you once built, Blake. Tatsiova. You want to give some of your thoughts on it? Oh gosh. So there's a lot that can be said about this card, so I'll try to say it really quickly. The main concern with this card is the fact that it outmoded is like the term. It pretty much replaced like Tatiova decks, and everyone's now going to transition to Icy because they essentially do the same thing, but Icy gives you that additional land per turn. So that's like the main concern, similar to how. A lot of people stopped playing Prosh in order to play Corvold because everything Corvold was doing was just Prosh but better. So that's like the been the main like dispute about this card. And there, I think there's a lot of merit to that argument. I am still like a little bit skeptical though because I do know that there are some true CDH Tatiova decks 
that I'm not sure if they're willing to go from 5 CMC up to 6 CMC. You know, every little bit of mana really counts in that end, but you also don't get access to the life from Tatiova, which in casual might matter because, you know, the game goes on long enough, people swing creatures long enough, the life game might matter. So it's really, really, really hard to tell whether or not AC is going to completely circumvent Tatiova. I guess we're going to have to wait and see. I mean, I honestly don't give a shit. <laughs> commanders are just already so powerful, and, like, you give AC this ability? Like, you know, you couldn't be any more, like, unique. It just... I mean, I guess we were kind of doing some good with, like, you know, that one serpent we got from Zenikar Rising who cared about kicker cards and, like, that was kind of cool because it was, like, not super broken but then they're like, nah, we're gonna go right back to, like, giving, you know commanders that are Simic the most broken abilities, which is this guy. Okay, that's, like, a different discussion for maybe another episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's move on. We are finished with two colors. So now we're going to go into three colors. I believe there's only one commander for each three color pair. No, there's not even that. There's only five. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Three colors. All right. We have Jared Carthalian, True Air, Red, Green, White, Legendary Creature, Human Warrior. When Jared enters the battlefield, target opponent becomes the monarch. You can't become the monarch this turn. If damage would be dealt to Jared while you're the Monarch, prevent that damage and put that many plus one plus one counters on it. It's a 3-3. Three, three. So this card is very strange. It kind of asks you to give the Monarch to someone else, and like eventually later on you plan to like steal it from them so that you can start putting plus one plus one counters on Jared. Like flavorfully, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess. It kind of asked you to play a lot of, like, I don't know if you remember this guy, the Enrage mechanic. It was amongst a lot of those dinosaurs from Ixalan. Yep. And then you can also kind of play those mass burn spells, like Star of Extinction or Blasphemous Act, where, like, you just nuke everything, and then Jared just gets fucking huge, and there's no other creatures on the board, and then you just, like, Alpha Strike somebody. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a neat little interaction that you mentioned there because you do want to be the monarch so you probably want to be playing a lot of cards that grant you the monarch ability however you want to make sure that you cast jared and then you cast something that'll just like almost give you the monarch without having to like actually deal the damage and then you can cast cards like star of extinction or like blasphemous act to then kind of like pump up Jared to be like, you know, almost like, I know we joke about it, but like Voltron, but you know, if you do Star of Extinction or Blacksmith Act, he's going to be a really big creature that you can just then, you know, swing in. And you have access to cards that care about plus one plus one counters, so he's going to get pretty strong if you like want to, you know, throw in like doubling season, parallel lives, whatever. He can be pretty strong. Not bad. Alright. Next we have Amareth, the Lustrous. Three and a Bant. Legendary creature, dragon, flying. 
Whenever another permanent enters the battlefield under your control, look at the top card of your library. If it shares a card type with that permanent, you may reveal that card and put it into your hand. It's a 6-6, six, six, and I mean, it's a large dragon that costs 6 mana to maybe get you some card advantage. I think if you really want to take advantage of this, you have to like focus on one specific card type, whether it's landfalls or constellation with your enchantress kind of decks. However, that's kind of it. I don't see this being too strong outside of that otherwise. I agree. Like, I don't really understand why people are talking about how powerful this card is going to be. It's 6 CMC. As someone who, like, plays an enchantment deck with, like, 30 enchantments, like, you're not always going to be hitting, like, an enchantment off of every, like, cast trigger. I would be way more excited about this card if it, if it let you look at the top three cards. This only lets you look at the very top card of your deck. And that, to me, is just a little bit too restrictive. I don't actually think this is going to be that good. I think people are overhyping it just a little bit. Yeah, because at that point, you need a lot of cards with top deck manipulation, which, I mean, you can play, but then it kind of, like, gets around the fact that like you're playing cards that care about one thing when you want to care about a certain permanent type so i guess like it's cool like flavorfully but i don't see it being like that strong mm-hmm. all right who's next we have Averina, the chaos bloom Green, blue, red, legendary creature, elemental shaman. As you cascade, you may put a land card from among the exiled cards onto the battlefield tapped. And it's a 4-2. So, I don't know, this kind of seems like a really miniaturized Idris or Maelstrom Wanderer. A very nerfed cascade-centric commander. Yeah, I think you're only going to be playing this in decks that really care about cascade. I do like how it's any kind of land, and you do get to choose the land at the end of the cascade. So you cascade, and let's say you hit like five lands before hitting the card that you're able to cast. You can choose from among those five lands, and it could be any of those. So like, I mean, we talked about floor versus ceiling a couple episodes ago. You know, maybe you do get like Gaia's Cradle. That's the only good land. (laughs) There are better lands. I know, I'm giving you shit. There's no better land than Gaia's Cradle, I guess. (laughs) But, like, you could choose Gaia's Cradle from among those. Like, it doesn't matter whether it's a basic or it's a non-basic. So, that's kind of the nice thing. But, otherwise, if you're not playing this in, like, a Cascade-focused deck, I don't think it's worth it that much. Alright. Moving on to Kulfener, the last U. Three white, black, green, legendary creature, tree folk shaman, has vigilance reach. Whenever Kulfener, the last U, or another creature you control dies, return it to one other target creature with lesser toughness from your graveyard to your hand. And it's a 3 7, which is pretty beefy in terms of toughness. Uh, it was the Command Zones preview, and they did a really good job about talking about this tree folk guy that I don't really give a shit about. <laughs> uh, it's just like a slow pseudo reanimator type deck. 
I think it's on the higher end of casual, I guess. But I don't think it'll be, like, particularly strong outside of, like, the 6 range, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. In my mind, it's like a 3-4 to four card combo deck, right? And Commander has such a wide card pool. Like, you can do 3-4 to four card combos in almost any color identity, so I'm not really that impressed. So, yeah, like, obviously you can play this as the combo version. You can play it as a tree folk tribal deck. Me, personally, I am going to probably put this in my Doran, the Siege Tower, Tree Folk Tribal deck. Because, you know, sometimes I just want to fucking play trees, man. I'm like a simple man. You are a simple man. Yeah. <laughs> Who's next? Alright, this next card is Yoriok, the Scorch Thrash. One black, red, green, legendary creature, Bayashino Shaman, with Vigilance. A player losing unspent mana causes that player to lose that much life. And then it has an activated ability of one tap. Each player adds Jund to their mana pool. And it's a 4-4. This is really fucking weird. It's Mana Burn. Yeah, it does bring back Mana Burn, which is really cool. Gavin Verhe kind of teased that there was going to be a rule that was brought back that a legendary creature granted and I was like immediately thinking yeah mana burn for sure <laughs> so I was right on that and I mean the game plan is to try and give mana to your opponent so that they're going to suffer from the burn damage which is kind of weird because you don't want to give your opponent's mana but this way you do but you want ways to make sure that it's mana not at the most convenient time for them so you want to make sure it's like during their upkeep or like end step where they're not able to like take full advantage of it and it's mana also that you know isn't relevant to their decks so like black red green uh, that's pretty good in terms of the diversity of the mana that's being given out but you know if someone does have like a black mana to spare like you know they could use it somewhere or they could use it in like mana sync type cards i think it's fun and you could probably find some like unique build around with this we did talk about belby corrupted observer from earlier who gives your opponent's mana there's overabundance magus of the vineyard eldamari's vineyard Shizuku, Color of Autumn, and War's Toll. Uh, the first few that I mentioned gave your opponent's mana, which is giving them a lot of mana. So unless they have a lot of mana sinks to put them in, they're probably going to have like too much to like actually use. And then War Toll is great because whenever they tap a land, they have to tap all of their lands at the same time, which then kind of like forces them to like try and use as much as they can but if they can't use as much as they can then they have like some left over that'll cause them mana, mana burn but i like how this is bringing back an, an effect it's kind of like how they're bringing back some legendaries but um they're bringing back an old ruling for this which is cool yeah i think it's cool as well I do expect this commander to be quite popular since there are a number of 
cards on the secondary market that have suddenly shot up in price that are very clearly planning to go in this kind of deck. You know, a lot of the like mana flare type cards that symmetrically grant everybody a whole bunch of mana. I think a lot of people are going to go about it that way, but you can definitely abuse this card in which you tap and untap it infinitely, and then you have a mana sink, so everyone else burns to death with the mana burn, and you live, and that's how you win. So again, this is one of those cards that there's a lot of flexibility in the power level of this card, and I like it a lot. I think it's going to see a lot of play, and it's understandable. Mana burn is pretty cool. You do want to have a lot of mana sinks for yourself as well, because it isn't an asymmetrical, asymmetrical effect. It is a symmetrical effect, so it does affect you as well. That's what I meant to say. Sorry, I'm a little bit drunk. <laughs> uh, I'm super drunk right now. <laughs> Part three is going to be a nightmare for me. Who's next? Oh, it's the turtle. You should read it, because you like the turtle. I do like the turtle. Okay, Arkelos Lagoon Mystic, one Sultai legendary creature of Turtle Shaman. As long as Arkelos Lagoon Mystic is tapped, other permanents enter the battlefield tapped. As long as Arkelos Lagoon Mystic is untapped, other permanents enter the battlefield untapped. And it's a 2-4. So, the reason behind this card is really interesting. It screams like Mono White. Like, you hear cards entering tapped, other enter the battlefield tapped, others enter untapped, permanents enter the battlefield tapped, and you're like, why isn't this Mono White? <laughs> and they made this like a Soul Tie commander because all the tertiary abilities that could be drawn out from it allow this card to have like multiple colors, and then you have more access to colors when you're building this commander deck. So, it's kind of cool. I I mean, I teeter between, like, I wish this was, like, mono, a mono-white card, because it would then be probably one of the stronger mono-white cards in Commander Legends, but I do see where they're coming from, and for the draft environment, like, you know, I guess they had to, like, create something, but... You know, it is symmetrical, so it affects you too, so just be careful when you're playing your cards. Especially if you want to use Arkellos for mana with something like Prismatic Omen, then you want to tap him like absolutely last, even if you aren't going to be using like the mana. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, of all the multicolored commanders that we've gotten so far, other than Lisa, this is kind of the deck that I've and planning on building. What's that make, like six? Yeah, well, Casual Pirates, Jessica and Thrasios, uh, Lisa, and then Arkelos. So four decks. And I mean, at the beginning of the year, I was like, hey, I need to build more decks as a commander player. So these four decks are something that I'm going to be working on over the next month and a half to kind of like help fill the goal of like, you know, at that point, I will have built like six or seven decks this year, which is more than I can say that I did in 2019. That's a good goal. Yes. I will say I have drinking more beer on this podcast than I have on any other podcast. So, you know, <laughs> I've also increased in something. <laughs> we still have one more episode after this. Oh my god, please don't remind me. <laughs> All right, so this next card. Ooh, 
I'm really excited about this one. All right, it is Gen Arcanum Weaver. It is red, white, and black for a legendary creature human wizard. And then it has an activated ability of red, white, black, tap, sacrifice an enchantment, return target enchantment card from your graveyard to the battlefield. And it is a 2-3. Oh boy. So if you've been listening to this podcast for almost any amount of time, you know that I'm a, like a fucking enchantment slut. I just love all the enchantments. This has never really existed before. There's never been an enchantment-focused deck in Mardu. Typically, enchantment decks exist specifically within Selesnia or Bant. People try to make like four color and five color good stuff enchantment decks, but there's never really been a Mardu enchantment deck. So this has me really interested and it does seem to work within the Mardu color pie philosophy. So that being said, I have made a deck list for this commander and probably after this whole set is done we can probably do like a deck tech ish type episode around again because it just does something that no other deck has done before and that's really exciting you know most people are going to build this as a curses deck because you can sacrifice a curse and put like maybe a different curse onto a different player Because that's like usually the downside of curses is like you put it in one person, but then later on in the game you want to move it to another person. Gen solves that problem. And then there are a bunch of other builds you can do of Gen. Like, there's a lot of enchantments, especially in black, that have an upside and then a delayed trigger of like a downside to balance out the card. And Gen lets you sacrifice that card before you get to the downside. So it's only upside. So I should probably stop talking because like, I should just save it for the future episode. I think it's kind of funny how you talked about a lot of the things what other people would do in this deck, but not what you're going to do. So you kind of gave us like a little tease, but not really. Yeah, like I, yeah, I'm not doing any of that. Like my brew, as far as I've seen on other deck building websites, nobody else has done. So... Look forward to that. Look forward to that, for sure. Alright, so then we're just going to move on to Nostru, Voice of the Crogs. One blue, red, white, so Jeskai, Legendary Creature Chimera. So then you tap, choose one, X is the number of spells you cast this turn. Scry X, um, it deals X damage to target creature, and you gain X life through three. So this is definitely something that X hasn't done before, and I like how Jeskai is kind of getting something that, again, isn't on like the broken side, because it typically tends to be like a spell slinger kind of decks. That's where you see Jeskai, and this is a unique way of taking advantage of those casting triggers without it being inherently broken, like, you know, the most powerful one being Narset, Enlightened Master. Mm-hmm. Between the three modes, Scry X and Gaining Life are the two that seem the most appealing in terms of strategy for X, Jeskai. Maybe so Scry X versus Gaining Life, but I guess if, like, you know, it wasn't deals X damage to target creature and it was deal 
X damage to any target permanent, or like any any source, like any target. So like you could choose players that could be more relevant because you could just then like cast a bunch. But that's not what this card does. So like you know, no point in talking about it that much. Pretty cool. Yeah, this this commander definitely asks you to go kind of storm because it cares about the number of spells you've cast this turn. In which case. I think one of the best things you can do with this card is to play Jeskai Ascendancy in the 99, because you'll like tap it, do something, and then Jeskai Ascendancy will just untap it, you can tap it, untap. So I think that's maybe like the best thing, or I should say the most powerful thing you can do with it. Not, not necessarily the best thing, but just the most powerful thing you can possibly do with this. Mm-hmm. Alright, this next commander is exciting. It is Obeka, Brute Chronologist. One, blue, black, red, legendary creature, Ogre Wizard. It can tap. The player whose turn it is may end the turn. That's it. And it's a 3-4. This has a lot of interesting rules implications, doesn't it? Yeah, this card is definitely kind of confusing, but the best way to explain it is that you want to use her to stop other people from comboing off at instant speed on other people's end steps, because when you tap her, the player whose turn it is has the control, so you want to be able to, you know, stop someone else from comboing off on another player's turn, so say they vampiric tutor at the end of someone's end step, or like use ad nauseum at the end of the turn that isn't theirs. So you want to give this ability to a person whose end step it is so they can stop those things from happening. Now you can also use this to free it up for yourself if you're cheating things that have sack abilities like Underworld Breach or if you're like using Perforos, Bronze Blooded, Sneak Attack, those cards that like cheat cards into play or like gaining control of permanence kind of like that one pirate that we talked about earlier. So think kind of like Sundial of the Infinite in a way. And that's mm-hmm. kind of like the casual route. But like if you're thinking like, oh, how can I make this like super powerful? You would take like Warrior's Oath, Final Fortune. There's another red sorcery that does this, but it's basically like red red. You take another turn af- and after that turn you then lose the game. So you imprint that onto like Isocon Scepter, use that to then take an extra turn, and then when the trigger of you lose the game is on the stack on your extra turn, use, you use Opeka to like stop that, then allow you to take an extra turn after that, and then you can just kind of create infinite turns without having to get around the you lose the game clause which is the way that they were trying to balance like the two mana take an extra turn thing so I think that this card can be great in casual situations because it's very political but it's also great in terms of like strong 8, 9, 10 CDH play because you can create these lines of having Underworld Breach out for multiple turns at a time to like really get the most advantage out of that and just 
take extra turns until you win. Yeah, there are about three different cards that have that take an extra turn in red. There's like Final Fortune, there's Last Chance, and then there's Warrior's Oath. So, but that's just scratching the surface. There are so many unique and interesting things that you can do with Obeka. Like, this is probably one of the coolest commanders to come out from this set, and it's and other people agree. I've seen a lot of people talking about this commander. I think it's going to be one of the more built and played commanders from this set. Yeah. All right. We've made it to the last commander in this part two. It is Nevenero, Urborg Tyrant, three white, blue, black, legendary creature, zombie wizard. It has hexproof from artifacts, creatures, and enchantments. Hmm. And then, when Nevenero enters the battlefield, create a tapped 2-2 black zombie creature token for each creature that died this turn. When Nevenero dies, you may pay one. When you do, destroy all artifacts, creatures, and enchantments. So, this is like, finally we get to see what Nevenero looks like. Because for years we've been playing Nevenero's disc and just been like, who's Nevenero? Now we know. Yeah, and it's weird because you probably wouldn't want to run Nevenero's disc in this deck because you would just then kind of kill Divinreal to then also kill all the artifacts, creatures, and enchantments that you're already killing. So it's like you run one or the other kind of situation. But I've seen people talking about how they plan to make like super friends since Nevinreal will wipe everything else that's like a permanent type. Oh, that's true. Yeah, so you can also pair this with, like, Animate Dead, or uh, there's another card, but to help create this recursion of, like, helping bring him back onto the field, just, like, get all these, like, zombie tokens out, I mean, he is definitely the most on-point flavor commander that we've seen so far in terms of, like, we've seen a bunch of commanders that are, like, Hey, we've referenced this before, but now it's on a commander, and so this is kind of cool. It's literally like a Devin Reels disc in your command zone, which is a pretty good card in like political situations because you use it as like a, oh, am I going to tap it right now? Or am I going to tap it right now kind of situation? Like you have that power of choice. And I do want to remind everyone listening that this commander does have a dies trigger, which again does indeed work due to the rules change a few months ago. You will indeed destroy all artifacts, creatures, and enchantments, whether you put Nevenural in the grave or in the command zone. Yeah, and I mean, what's great too is like you kill him to then reanimate him. And then you gain a bunch of advantage of cards that died prior or earlier in the turn. And so, like, let's say you pretty much wipe the board of all creatures. And say, like, each of your opponents at least have two. But then you, like, animate dead or, like, reanimate him for, like, one. Because you don't have to put him in back into the command zone. Because you have access to black, which has the best, like, reanimation stuff. 
So you bring True. him back, and then you get like you know six, seven, two, two zombie tokens. So that's pretty good. And then you kind of can redo that kind of effect multiple times to just create more and more zombie tokens. So I don't know. I mean, he'll be like a fun casual build. And if you do want to go like the super friends route because they're unaffected by this effect, good for you. Then you have zombies to like help block. But yeah, I I I like this. Okay, guy, we've made it through all of the possible commanders from this set. Way to go! Oh my god, it only took like four hours. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, three. But, okay, some final wrap-up questions and thoughts here. Who do you think is, like, the best new commander from this set? Or at least this section, I should say. From this multicolor section. For multicolor, Obeka, just because it has the potential to create infinite turns with Isocon Scepter and Final Fortune, it's a very low mana cost and easily able to just, like, go off yeah, if you're going like CDH route, if we're turn, if we're thinking at least in terms of like who we're gonna see most in terms of like, I mean, Gen's also really strong, and I'm looking forward to learning more about your deck. But if we're thinking also like in terms of like popularity, your lock is the one that I think that we're gonna see the most commander decks built. Okay, that's fair. I kind of agree with you, Guy. I feel like Obeka is the quote-unquote best commander because, you know, you can play it kind of towards the CDH and you can also play it super casually and it asks you to play cards that no other deck in Commander has really asked you to play before. It's a deck style that's never existed before and it really therefore increases the diversity of deck styles and uh, types of decks that exist within the format. And those are all things that I think are healthy and great for the format. Yeah. And in terms of like multicolor commanders that we've gotten out of this set, I am super happy that they're all, well, I'd say 90% of them are unique. A few of those like Simic commanders, like I said, are just generic and like super strong. Yeah. At least the three color ones feel really unique, and I hope that we get to see more of them in the future. And, you know, Blake will probably buy you a beer if you beat them, beat him with any of them. <laughs> I, I totally agree, where, like, I think a lot of people aren't quite talking enough about the fact that a lot of these commanders are truly doing new things that within those color identities that have never been done before. And I mean, I think that's increasing the diversity of decks and deck styles within the format, which again is healthy. So I just, I think that's all about what Commander should be doing. And I, I really like it. I appreciate it. I think more people should acknowledge that. Yeah, yeah. Totally agree. Alright, we got one more episode that we need to do, so we're going to wrap it up here. Thank you very much for listening. We are the Wizard Stop Podcast. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere else you listen to your podcast. 
Make sure you leave a like and review. We are doing that Rustic Study giveaway. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TheWizardStaff101. You can send us an email at TheWizardStaff101 at gmail.com if you want to bitch and complain about how stupid we are. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, have a great night. We'll see you in part three. Uh, Peace out. See you there. Peace out.